anytime you start taking what you come to know and believe is truth and then try to force it upon someone or withhold something that is deserved or appropriate for them in relationship, parent, child, friend, simply because they have a different view or a different understanding becomes abusive. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen anderson Abril here with my co-host, Pastor Elliot Anderson. And Love and Life is your place to hear conversations grounded in psych research, psychotherapy, and biblical truth to help us thrive in love and life. Elliot, we had a question come in very recently, and it was a perfect reason for us to continue our woundedness series about a topic that you and I have been discussing for quite a while and wanting to cover. And since the question came in, I said, let's do it. You said, absolutely. Here's the question. And it's about what is a spiritual wound. And we've done father wound. We've done mother wound. We've done divorce wound. We've looked at so many of the big life events that wound us. And one that would be, I think, the most tragic is when your relationship with God, which should be an area of your life that permeates all those other areas, helps woundedness in those other areas. And yet if you've been wounded through church relationships or pastors, youth pastors, or folks in the church, I was just talking to a woman last night and we talked about how she was a young mother. Her husband wasn't interested in going to church, but she wanted to raise her babies in the church. She was very poor. She had three dresses to her name and she wore a dress to church one time and she heard someone behind her commenting that they didn't think that dress was appropriate. So that kind of church community woundedness, it's all wrapped up in this big, broader topic of spiritual wounding. So the question was, what is spiritual abuse in and outside of a Christian context and how do individuals heal from it? What do you think, Ali? It's definitely, like I said, a topic that's really painful because we want our spiritual connection to be that balm, that healing element to take care of the other woundedness that we experience in life. Yeah, I think I want to do some retroactive reminders first before we tackle a pretty pertinent and intense question. So the woundedness series that you talked of is about our primary bonded relationships and parents, siblings, spouse, extended family, very close friends, and a God, when our primary bonded relationships are not appropriately affirming, appreciative, accepting, gracious, gentle, kind. It doesn't mean that those relationships don't have tough moments. We know that. So that's the essential wounded kind of definition we've been using, whether that's father, mother's, divorce or particular disorders. And so I think there's, I broke it down in three different levels or aspects of spiritual woundedness, which I think will get to this person's question as we start chewing these out a little bit. The first one is that the spiritual wound is an absence of spiritual opportunity, information, assimilation, any kind of church or faith background, uh, because we know that the body is mind, heart, soul, and spirit, whether you're someone in the Christian faith or Muslim faith or no faith, we all recognize biologically, physiologically, spirit is true. It is part of who we are. And therefore, an absence of that, of no conversation about God, no conversation about how do we exist, what's eternity, what's not eternity, growing up in not necessarily an atheistic or agnostic, but just an environment where no one seemed to care. And as a child, you grew up with nothing. 
that's similar to the absence of you didn't grow up with anybody telling you what's good to eat and what's not good to eat. Mm. When do you exercise? When you don't exercise? Or someone saying, you know what? School, don't worry about it. Just, mm. just ignore school. You'll be fine. You have some native intelligence. We would never think of abandoning those kind of principles. And sometimes families abandon any kind of spiritual principles at all, mm. whether they're involved in a church or not involved with the church. And again, I'm not saying this exclusively about Christianity. And the research does support that it's better to have some kind of spiritual development and church practice or church connection than have none. As far as when you become an adult trying to figure out what do I believe about God? What do I not believe about God? What do I believe about church? What I don't believe? And so I think that's like a primary baseline. And I do meet with clients who, whether they come through the podcast, come through Judson or come through the community, where they are identifying that alone, just an absence of anyone talking to them or teaching them or giving them opportunities to consider what they think about God as a major wound, like a big mm. part of their life is missing. One of the scriptures says that eternity is in our hearts, that God places an understanding aspect of eternity in our hearts, and that all of us are created in His image with the capacity to worship something. And we either worship God, or Romans was says we either worship the creature or the creator. Mm. And so I think it's in tunely built in all of us. So that's the first one. It doesn't quite address what He's talking about, but I wanted to give us a baseline yeah. of a spiritual wound coming from these primary bonds. Any Before I go into a second one, Karen, anything you want to add? Yeah, I'm really struck by a couple things you said. One is that we do have this notion, and when you talk to parents, sometimes they'll say things like, religion was shoved down my throat as a child, and it felt so constrictive and confining, and I just want my kids to develop this part of their life on their own. And they see it as a very freeing gift they're giving their child to give them no instruction. And what you're saying is that's actually... Abandonment. Abandonment. It's I was going to say irresponsible. Yeah, I'm going harsher. It's, it's like <laughs> spiritual neglect and spiritual abandonment. I'm not talking about, oh, yes. I grew up Catholic, you have to be Catholic, or I grew up Lutheran, you have to be Lutheran, whatever. I'm just talking about a general opportunity or availability for young people to figure out for themselves what do they believe or understand about God. But to give a baseline framework about God, you're saying? Of course, just like we do when we teach our kids about nutrition, exercise, mm -hmm. reading, homework. And the other thing, Elliot, that strikes me is that it's a little naive to think that if you provide no concept of God, it's ignoring, again, the mind-body-spirit that you spoke to a moment ago. It's ignoring that that is a massive part. There's no culture ever since the dawn of time that hasn't had religion of some sort. Right. So if you don't provide your child with a framework, a notion of God, of course, you and I are evangelical Christians, so that's where that was our training, and that's we continue to practice that to this day. If you don't provide that for the child, will fill that void with something. Exactly. It might be an addiction. It might be like you were saying, loving money or loving status or material, or they will worship something. Yeah, scripture teaches us we're not filled with the Spirit, and that's the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity that we receive when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior that if we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, we will be filled with other things. And there's very specific examples of that in Scripture, filled with rage, filled with jealousy, filled with anger, filled with lust, filled with greed, the deadly sins per se that aren't specifically said in the New Testament, but those are all very applicable. And so, yeah, when we're not, when we're trying to give our children or our teens this massive amount of freedom, we're actually sending them into likelihood of filling themselves up with something else because we are made to worship and we're made to have spirit. 
And as a developmental psychologist, it strikes me that you also are raising your child without the structure and the knowns that are so good for children, especially when they're young, when they're in that concrete operational stage, Piaget's concrete operational stage, everything's very black and white for them. When you don't provide them with some, this is right, this is wrong, you don't give that to them, then the kid is filled with anxiety as if they're at eight years old or 10 years old or 12 or 15, as if it's their job to figure out what's right and wrong for them. That's not a loving framework. It's an absence of a loving framework to provide your child. Yeah. Every society, as you were inferring throughout time, even if their concept of God, we would consider as Americans really weird and strange, worshiping cows or the grass or rain or something. Mm -hmm. Basic morality is taught in every context and nation. So even within our American freedom, which of course we celebrate and we're thrilled to be Americans, but even in that mm -hmm. American freedom, I think at times we've done a great injustice and created spiritual wounds for our children by, I think, likely in good intention, mm -hmm. trying to not force something on our kids that maybe we right. felt was forced and that hurt us. Maybe mm -hmm. it's our spiritual wound that created their wound, and I'll get to those in the next couple examples. Yeah, the separation of church and state is something, getting back to the American values that we hear a lot. It was actually, it's nowhere in the Constitution, it's not in the Bill of Rights or anything like that. It's actually a letter, I believe, that was from Jefferson to someone, and the notion has really stuck. And I understand it. And I, as a Christian, I still agree that we should have that freedom to pursue whatever we want as adults in terms of religion. I don't think my religion should be forced on anyone at the same time to think that we can extricate, like you said, morals, values from a culture and not see some problems therein. When we pull a, a moral framework from throughout society, I think we're actually seeing some of that right now, but we could save that for another day. If you're interested in processing further as you align your mind, body, and spirit, we're here for you. Head over to loveandlifemedia.com and click on the Work With Us tab. There you can book individual or couples sessions. Or sign up for one of our support groups. Purchase one session or a multiple session package. We'd love to work with you. Sign up at loveandlifemedia.com. So I think the second aspect of a spiritual wound, spiritual development environment. So the family did create some type of environment and consistency of practice and involvement in church or faith, when instead of being a healthy, loving, accepting, inclusive environment, it is fear-based, shame-based, abusive, oppressive, teaching exclusivity and judgment. The recent show from about the Duggars, the shiny, happy people, whatever. I haven't watched it yet, but I've had Ooh. multiple alums and clients reach out to me saying, watching that brought up the wound again and shook some people up. That's an mm -hmm. example. So this wound, I think, can be developed subtly, not just dramatically, but many th folks who I think are wounded in this kind of context then overcorrect and try not to give their kids any framework because they felt yeah. so forced and they had to go through so much healing and separation from the church and even separation from God. And that's a distinction we can talk about here in a minute. But so I think that second aspect is a different level than the first aspect. And the writer's question could hit into this one, although I think it'll go into aspect number three here in a minute, because there is some spiritual abuse that can come through this where the coercion and the form of being afraid of God, not a reverence fear, but actually like afraid mm. God's out to get you. 
And if you have a bad week, don't even come to church because you're like dirty, rotten, heathen. Things that are really counter the teachings of Christ, that becomes part of our man-made religion or tradition. I think that's the second aspect, Karen. Yeah. And so there I'm thinking of what we talked about a few minutes ago about having that structure, having those knowns that right and wrong, but having that legalistic, that very, that judgmental piece that a lot of people resist religion and Christianity in particular. Oh, it's just a lot of rules and doctrine and, and they miss the whole grace and the mercy and the love. And it's like parenting styles, right? We go to Bomberland and we need to have that high levels of demandingness, expectations, and this is right and this is wrong. This is how, these are the values and this is how we live our life. And then also high levels of warmth and hugs and kisses and you're amazing and it's okay, pick yourself back up and dust yourself off and you're forgiven. Those high levels in parenting is very similar that we need to have a church environment, a Christianity environment that really emphasizes that both of those aspects are to be highlighted within the Christian experience. Yeah, I'm guessing you didn't watch the NBA draft last night, but I did. <laughs> I watched it with my boys and more than two or three parents, they do this thing now that after the young man's drafted, they immediately go over to this couch and get interviewed with the parents, which is really cool. Wow. And there was at least three sets of parents that talked about very specific kind of themes, dogmas, or expressions that some of these guys were wearing on their necklaces or their jewelry or shirts about that very aspect. No excuses, mm -hmm. no complaining. No one's going to outwork you. So here's these amazingly talented kids, right? Obviously, you're not an NBA player without amazing talent. And yet the framework from the parents was setting up this possible development and growth that if they didn't do that, I don't think there's any way even there's tons of talented guys that don't make the pros and yeah. talented, talented women as well, right? It's not about men here. And so that's an example of the church framework is that often the church ends up in this creating this spiritual womb, but I want listeners to understand that's not Christ. That's not the way Jesus taught it. The Old Testament was full of the laws and the rules and very specific formulas that were required. That was part of the worship. That was part of the understanding. But Christ came to not abolish the law, but fulfill it. And so now to live them out, and then often in our man-made traditions, I think churches normally accidentally set up structures and rules and then uh, put conditional fear, shame, or guilt upon those. And that really creates a spiritual wound. So many people who come to Christ, notice we don't say come to church, come to Christ for that relationship later in their life, talk about they had to be free from the guilt, the shame, the fear that they had been introduced to in this second aspect of a spiritual wound. And related to that as well, Elliot could link back to a father wound because there's so much imagery within the Bible of God being our Abba Father, which for me and for you, Abba meaning daddy, if my translating, Absolutely. I don't know yeah. a lot, of, you know a lot more about the actual translations, but that's my understanding is that Abba Father, that resonates with me because I was my daddy's like darling little girl. So to come before the throne with boldness and that your daddy is waiting to hear, what does my child want from me? That's very comfortable for me and that tracks. But for someone who had a very punitive father without that warmth that was paired with that expectation, like we talked about a moment ago, the notion of God the father, they don't want any part of that. Right. Yeah. The trauma work I do with so many ladies in particular, that father wound, if that's the primary abuser or oppressor, it does 100% inhibit understanding of God is all love, all caring, 
we could go through story after story right now. We'd be weeping about comments these young men or young women make to me <laughs> when they're recognizing the power of the transformation that God is not like their dad. And that's hard because if you're reading the Bible in mm. its entirety as well, there's lots of sections where it seems like if you don't take the context of the entire scriptures, it seems like God has some of that in some of his oppressive statements and very exclusivity mm -hmm. passages in the Old Testament in particular. We'd love to connect with you further via our weekly newsletter. Joining the Love & Life family gets you first access to bonus content and flash sale pricing for books and consultations. And when you sign up, you'll receive Karen's Empowered Dating Playbook or my Empowered Marriage Playbook. Head over to loveandlifemedia.com to join the Love & Life family. Third aspect, Karen, I think this fits mm -hmm. much more to specifically what the question was and probably where we can land the plane now the rest of this okay. episode. The third aspect is having someone then in a specific spiritual authority role. So a father, parent, could be mother as well, teacher, pastor, administrator, spouse, older sibling, or youth worker, uh, counselor could be in those realms as well use their position then, which includes some spiritual authority or role, as a tool for manipulation, coercion, ostracization, and abuse. This is often in the form of bullying, indignation, brainwashing, fear-mongering, and then of course in the extreme cases, sexual exploitation and complete mind control. And when that's happened to some of our listeners, which I'm sure it has, the recovery from that, much harder, much longer than we're getting our whole aspect. And these abusers, let's call them what they are, these abusers then use God to control their victims. And God's very clear how he feels about that kind of thing in both the Old and the New Testament. Jesus talks about, if you're inhibiting kids from understanding who I am, it's like a rock around your neck plunging you into the depths of the ocean. That's just a paraphrase of mm. what Jesus feels, because he showed over and over again, let the children come to me, giving them complete status as mm. his beloved. And so for, and this happens unfortunately in the church often, and it's not just the Catholic priest stuff that we all know about. It happens in the evangelical culture just as much, if not more. I'm sure it ha happens in Muslim and Hindu and Buddhist and everywhere else as well. It's the part of the depravity of man. And when you have these positions of control and power, if you don't have that absolute understanding of morality and your own depravity and recognizing your position and the vulnerabilities, it can be absolutely devastating. So tragic because you think of that innocence of children. And again, I'm just thinking about our upbringing at Ninth Street Baptist Church. And I think about Miss Flora and how she yeah. was such a calming presence for yeah. you. And we've talked about your history of being a wild child and being very hyperactive, as we called it in the day and how she was just such a calming presence for you. And she it was that beautiful, what you needed at the time, like grandmother figure, because our grandmas didn't live close to us, and how the church could be, that church community for us was definitely part of our upbringing. It was mom and dad and the whole village of the church raising us, and those bonds are very tight and certainly were profound in our childhood. And But to your point, if it's not a healthy, healing, loving environment, in fact, it's being manipulating a child in the fullness of their innocence, where they're going to church thinking, okay, these people in the church, they want to instruct me in the right way. I should obey them. It's just tragic I mean, it's, and horrific, and it happens all the time. Yeah, and, and that spiritual abuse in these regards are 
profoundly identity changing and creates long recovery yes. processes. And thankfully, it sounds weird, but thankfully there's more woundedness in the other areas than there is this one. However, I think the spiritual wound incorporates often levels of all of that because even because of this family of God thing you're talking about, which is one of the yeah. metaphors in scripture about what the church is supposed to be, even if you're not abused in the church, mm -hmm. but one of your girlfriends or boyfriends from the youth group is, then it becomes still a primary spiritual wound bond because the family of God is taking the context of the family of origin. And then it, it has like the byproduct effect. And so often there's folks who come to me and talk about, you know, they haven't been in the church in seven, 10 years. And it ends up being, as we talk through the story a little bit, not about something done to them directly, almost a secondary PTSD spiritual wound, which can be dramatically difficult. Okay, so back to the question, Elliot, what is spiritual abuse in and outside of the Christian context? And I think you have absolutely covered that. I've covered some of it, but let me give one more aspect. Another aspect of spiritual abuse is, is really people's own individual interpretation of the scripture, which we have to give room for others to, we have to be open and accepting of others' opinions and perspectives. The greatest minds in history haven't agreed. Right. So you and I have decent minds. We're not going to always agree. Um, and when you get to places that get super dogmatic or super, are particular individuals who get super dogmatic and stubborn and obnoxious about it, there's spiritual wounds created there as well. Like you either believe this specific thing about the end times or about the Trinity or whatever, or I'm going to withhold relationship from you. And again, that's so counter than to what Christ showed us in his walk and ministry. And often folks do this to one another in a level of, oh, this is spiritual obedience, that I have to demand that you agree and think exactly what I do. And that's just not the gospel. It's not the truth of the scriptures, yeah. but that's a level of spiritual abuse that can happen outside of the church that the question asked about a little bit, what's it in Christianity? What's it not? Right. Or you come to faith in Christ and your partner isn't. And that can be a pretty difficult scenario in a relationship. I've counseled couples who one was Muslim and one was Christian, or one was Catholic and one was Christian, or one was Jewish, an old school Orthodox Jew, and one was evangelical. So those can create spiritual wounds as well if we're not accepting and open and loving of who we are individually within the context of a romantic partnership, which is another whole aspect. But anytime you start taking what you come to know and believe is truth and then try to force it upon someone or withhold something that is deserved or appropriate for them in relationship, parent, child, friend, simply because they have a different view or a different understanding becomes abusive. We're seeing that politically in this country. We're seeing that on COVID in this country. We're seeing it all over the place, but it's been in the faith element all the while. Yeah. <laughs> and that's so hard, though, because at the same time, should someone come to a deep, authentic, exciting relationship with Jesus, and then their partner is way over in the other direction with something else, it's hard because it, that is now, like you said earlier, this is now part of your identity and it's part of your value system. It's the way you want to do life. And we know that partnerships a lot easier when people link up with someone who wants to do life in the same way they do. And those values are going to permeate everything about their connection. So I can see it being very hard and certainly woundedness. It, 
ample opportunity for woundedness, but at the same time, I can understand someone being passionate and not trying to manipulate or withhold, like you said, but also being like, I'm so excited about this and I want you to be too. Yeah, just like they would if they have a new exercise program that helped them lose 100 pounds and they feel great, they wanna, they're gonna, right. they're gonna tell people about it. Yeah, uh, naturally. Mm-hmm. And if their spouse is still struggling with weight or struggling with health, and you know, and they're refusing to do it or don't want to do it, we wouldn't like berate them or abuse them. But sometimes good intended or well intended folks can do that in these spiritual areas, and it creates massive wounding. Like me with big pharma. I want to tell everyone. <laughs> well, that's just part <laughs> and of the, they get, it's part of the passion. It is. It's part of the passion. It, exactly. And I want to tell them. And now I got big food on my list too. And I want to tell people. <laughs> and then sometimes people just, they don't have ears to hear because they're in a different place. Yeah, it's and, just not their form. And so again, for right. you, you're a very intelligent, passionate speaker. So it's giving, sharing what's on your heart, what's on your soul and giving them information, understanding. But then if they choose not to, it's not like you're going to withhold your friendship or you're like, well, then you're stupid and a loser, right? It's no. <laughs> I just wanted to share my heart and I hope resonates yeah. with you. If you want to talk about it again sometime, that's great. But I still love you if you disagree. I still want to be your friend or, or sister or whatever. <laughs> if you disagree, whatever those scenarios are, I'm all here. I think you're more gracious than me. I get mad. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the healing, Elliot. Where do we go with spiritual woundedness healing? And you've definitely shared that you've dealt with this with couples and individuals throughout your career counseling. And I know that you as a pastor have become a father, a spiritual father. If that was not part of their family of origin, you've been able to step in and be that substitute, Mm -hmm. that father, spiritual father for people to help them bridge the gap between the father of origin that in their family that was not that spiritual father so that they can maybe see the Abba father that is waiting to love them. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. And from my own perspective as a pastor as well, I've been overly cautious, and Angie, my wife, has as well, with our own children and foster children and the over 40 people who've lived with us, about just being a pastor and heart, mind, soul, spirit, and love them and teach them and openly share spiritual things if and when it's appropriate, but never to force it on my own children. All four of my kids have had moments, my primary kids have had moments where they didn't want to go to church for a while or they were frustrated, and Angie and I did not force them and did not coerced them and allowed them as they got, I'm talking 16, 17, not when they're seven or eight, allowed them the opportunity to start to learn and figure out what they want to do. Or my boys liked big churches. And so I've usually pastored smaller or medium churches. And once they could drive, they wanted to go to a big church in our area. I'm like, absolutely. go. That's totally fine. So that's that openness, practicing what I preach. And then that helps me also when clients come and they're having these variables that are so difficult. So as all we've talked about with all the woundedness episodes, the first key is to recognize it. And so maybe it's listening to this podcast today and saying, you know what, I think I have a spiritual wound. And so the first part is to recognize it and not, once you recognize it, don't beat yourself up about it or feel shame or or guilt about it. Just say, oh, I think I have this. I think this came through my church. I think this came through my parents. And again, once you recognize it, don't blame your parents now and go, oh, that explains why my entire life's been jacked up the last 11 years. I don't want to talk to my mom and dad anymore. Because now you're doing the, you're flipping the spiritual wound right back on them. And so it's recognizing it, accepting it. I'm not saying you have to love it, but accepting it and then saying, okay, now I need to proactively heal. And that healing, whether you're a person of great faith or little faith, that healing is going to have to take some forgiveness. And so... Mm-hmm. To not hold on to your right to be 
not just angry, but release your right to now withhold or to attack or to manipulate back, retaliate, to have revenge, because now you're living in your wound rather than living through your wound. And so recognizing you have and accepting it, and then the more proactive you are then about trying to heal, which will often take partnering with a therapist or a really good friend or a pastor or someone in the spiritual faith, if you feel available to that, if you don't force that either. If you don't trust that, then I wouldn't jump right back into it. And even if you don't feel safe with a therapist, because maybe your therapist was a Christian therapist and wounded you, and now you have a spiritual wound from that, um, Mm -hmm. doing some of your own work, whether you write down, I would write down specifically, this is how I was hurt. This is how I think the wound developed. This experience, this relationship, this opportunity that was missed, or this absence, naming them what they are, the, the research about the brain talks about when we think about it, it's one part of the brain, when we write it, it's another, and then when we speak, it's another. And so trying to have multi-sensory movements mm-hmm. and then to go through the actual practice of forgiveness, like taking that sheet of paper or that notebook or your, your tablet or whatever, you've written those out and then I'd read them out loud. And then I'd consciously say after each one, and I forgive my pastor for this very specific thing and read it all over again. For some people, this becomes like a left brain exercise and matter of fact and very linear and structured, but really helps them kind of get an orchestration in their brain to start the movements of healing. For others, it's a completely right brain, uh, experiential sensory movement with they, I encourage people to get their own environment that works for them. If you want candles and soft music and darkness, or if you want to be out in the middle of nature, uh, just be who you are within that. And sometimes the level of tears and weeping is massive and comprehensive. And Karen, I've done this kind of exercise in spiritual wound healing with as many pastors as I have congregation members. Mm. And those who know the Chicagoland area over the last five years, we've had some horrific high end spiritual abuse, church abuse, spiritual wounds through our evangelical community and culture. And it's been very difficult. Many of my really good friends have been greatly wounded by the church, by particular individuals of great power and authority. They've gone through these kind of exercises every bit as much as someone who just went to church once in a while, had no particular role, no particular connections. So I'm trying to help the folks listening today to recognize that your role or position in the church doesn't block you from significant woundedness. Sometimes it can make it more profoundly difficult if you are in a level of leadership and authority and you don't you didn't do the wounding but you're there and a part of leadership when the wounding happens and then you feel responsible even if you didn't even know so these kind of exercises in forgiveness and walking through that is extremely important in any of these woundedness categories we've talked about but i think in this one in particular and if you're a person of faith to again separate your relationship with Jesus from your relationship with the church. Yes, they're meant to be together, but Jesus wasn't the one wounding you. Jesus wasn't the one hurting you. That was the men and women as manifestation or a representation of Christ doing that. And sometimes we get stuck thinking, well, if that's what Jesus is like, I don't want any part of him. And I just tell folks, that's not what Jesus is like. Jesus didn't do that wounding to you. That was us, the humans doing that wounding. So even if you don't feel like you want to go to church anymore or you need a break, that's fine. I support that. Let's work on that one-on-one individual relationship again with the Lord 
and just start to work on repairing there. And it's okay in scripture, it talks all the time, it's okay to be mad at God and to be frustrated. Why did that, why'd you allow that to happen, God? But King David shows us that over and over again in the Psalms, that's so helpful that a man whose heart was knit together with the Lord often was very angry at the Lord as well, and, and God is okay with that. So having some anger about these spiritual wounds and even being mad at the Lord about that is a healthy response. And walking through that again with somebody who has some contextual understanding of how to be your partner in that is huge. Yeah, of lamentations too. There's, I know in times of my life where I've been frustrated or angry with God or why, just questioning and shaking my fist at the sky, it was definitely hugely comforting to know, okay, your issues with God have been around since God created humans and, and created relationship with them. And it's very real and raw and we're meant to be honest and open with God. And again, not pull this shiny, happy people stuff where everything's fine, everything's rosy. Yeah. I'm a Christian, so everything's perfect. Yeah, and sometimes even our small groups or our Bible studies end up wounding us. We're there for the sole purpose of joining together, but if one or two or three or the culture of that group is all about, you start to open up about a hurt and they automatically give you the resolution of that hurt. Or if you just believe this scripture, then that hurt will go away. Those aren't true. And so in the name of Christ sometimes, and in the name of small group or church or Bible study, we are sometimes wounding each other rather than receiving each other. So Karen, as we wrap up, and I'm sure there's going to be some follow-up conversations or questions that for our listeners, I think there'll be some more coming. But as we Mm -hmm. wrap this particular one, as a pastor, as someone who's led three different churches and who had a wonderful, super important church relationship growing up, And think, Karen, what we'd be like if any of those Ninth Street parents and aunts and uncles and friends abused us rather than loved us. Oh, my gosh. So I'm so thankful. So I do want to encourage the listeners that even those who've been through the spiritual wound that Scripture teaches and research teaches that being in a faith community— and I'm going to be open here about this, being in a faith community. I would love it to be evangelical Christian, but I'm just saying being in a faith community is healthy for us, is good for us, and helps us heal from spiritual wounds. Yeah, I pulled up some research, of course, being the geek that I am, and there's a Pew Research Center article that asked this question. It said, are religious people happier, healthier? Our new global study explores this question. And just to your point, According to this research, actively religious people are more likely than their less religious peers to describe themselves as very happy. And this was about in in about half of the countries surveyed in the U.S., for example, 36 percent of the actively religious people describe themselves as very happy compared with 25 percent of the inactively religious and 25 percent of the unaffiliated. So people who just don't go to church at all or just don't consider themselves to have any religious identity. Another point was that as far as health, they didn't find a huge connection between healthy living and being religious, but this was true for Americans. It wasn't true for all the countries they surveyed, but in three countries out of the 26 that they surveyed, the actively religious are likely to report better health than everyone else, and that is in the U.S., Taiwan, and Mexico, which I found interesting, especially when you start thinking about health habits and so forth. And then the final point that I thought was interesting that we should review here is that people who attend religious services at least monthly often are more likely than people who don't to join other types of non-religious organizations such as charities and clubs. And in the U.S., for example, 58% of actively religious people are also involved in at least one non-religious voluntary 
organization, compared with just 51% of the inactively religious and 39% of the unaffiliated, which makes me think about volunteering and how that is so good for us emotionally and helps us remain in gratitude. It helps us. It just, it's been known in a ton of research to be able to be a very supportive pillar of our emotional health. Also, social support. There's a ton of research on that looks at, so whether it's the church, but here in these other organizations, you're getting that face time with other people, which is so needed, especially now when people are approximating social support via online connections, and it doesn't translate to be as much of a bolster for your emotional state. So that was just a couple of things I wanted to bring to the table. I guess, like you said, landing the plane here, the idea that despite the woundedness, there still is reason to pursue a religious connection. And of course, we would say we vote for Christianity. I think we both say a relationship connection rather than a religious connection, but I understand the term religion helps people understand. And I think a healthier church faith community does create healthy people. And so, yeah, those those of the listeners who recognize now, oh, I have some significant spiritual wounding, and they think, then I don't ever want to again be involved with the church or faith community. I think this research helps support. It is an important part of your healing. Be careful, be cautious, make sure you're ready and find some accountability and connection. But yeah, taking steps to recognize it's going to benefit you psychologically, physiologically, emotionally, mentally, not just spiritually. Mind, body, and spirit, the three pillars of our value system as podcasters and what we hope to support others in our community. We want to thank you so much for listening. Elliot, why don't you pray over anyone who's listened and is realizing, wow, I have a spiritual wound, and let's leave them with a word of prayer to help them as they move through this, try to find that healing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to talk about this very difficult subject, one that is not outside of you, Lord, or not that doesn't grieve you just as much as it grieves us. So we pray, Lord, for any listeners who have recognized Maybe they knew already, but now they've recognized more significantly the spiritual wound in their life. So pray, Lord, they would recognize it, they'd accept it, as difficult as that is, and not be prone to retaliate or rebel or to aggressively attack others, but rather to work on some forgiveness exercises, some releasing their right to be in that position, even though they have the right to feel everything they're feeling. And the Lord help them to find connection, relationship, pastor, therapist, new church family, new faith community, where they can get some healing, some growth, and receive some of the benefits that are naturally a part of our psychological part, our psychological part of ourselves, and then also the spiritual that is also such a natural and organic and God-given part of ourselves. So we pray for healing even through this podcast, Lord, and we thank you for our foundation of faith and spiritual affirmation and spiritual growth that's driven all of us into spiritual authority and positions to help coach and encourage others. And of course, the foundation from our mother and father as well. So we praise you for that, Lord. Praise you that you are Abba Father and that you want all of the children, all of your children, Lord, to run to you and to be received by you and allow that to be part of their healing from this spiritual wound. Amen. Thank you, as always, for sharing a portion of your day with us. We know your time is valuable. We hope that our time together has proved encouraging and empowering. Be sure to head over to loveandlifemedia.com where you can ask a question and sign up for our newsletter list. Elliot has given me the information for the Empowered Marriage Playbook, so this is going to be coming 
very soon. And we appreciate connecting with you since we've been a little spotty on social media recently because we're Gen X. And uh, yeah, we have busy lives. That's why. (laughs) (laughs) But we do want to stay connected with you. So the newsletter is a great way to do that. So please join us there. Elliot and I want to thank you very much for spending a portion of your day with us. We hope that this conversation has given you clarity, insight, and encouragement. We're here to help us all align our mind, body, and spirit for empowered relationships. Thanks again, and until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abram.